tradition is always changing and tradition always has to be relevant and tradition is carrying the past and hopefully bringing the best of the past with it and so that you know we're not we're, we're hopefully adapting but not losing Great old players, Joe Cooley, Willie Clancy, Tommy Potts, I mean, standard bearers of the tradition, were in fact all innovators and were all adapting and becoming relevant in their moment and in their time. Music has to be relevant and it has to be alive and it has to be of now. And I think what's happening now is that we're moving into a time that's kind of genre-free. I think it's healthy to listen to the wider world, and I think the natural part the tradition plays in this is that we can allow the world in. We don't have to go out to try and change the music, and we don't have to fight against the world around us. Folk music, traditional music evolves naturally in an interaction with the world around us. Having said all that, I, I do still, I think on some level also find that it's important to keep going back inside our tradition also to reach to the touchstones of, of that music and know what that fundamentally is. Because I think one of the journeys outwards in traditional music is a journey inward in the first place. In other words, when you really have this tradition deeply ingrained in your bones and you know this music inside of you as a human being, then you can speak with anybody and you can engage with anybody and you don't have to sacrifice your music, you don't have to water it down, you don't have to turn it into something it's not in order to connect. You can absolutely be yourself and that's a, a core belief and feeling for me in terms of how I want to interact with, with other other musicians and other from from different traditions and backgrounds i it's very important for me to be able to bring the full truth of this music with me on that journey i was introduced to nava by my friend quivin o'reilly i think nava bring a piece of iran with them and uh, i just love the idea that two guys could come from Iran and form a musical bond here and they have this apparent lovely little existence down in Tala where they're continuously working on music their first album was wonderful but the material they're working on now is even better so we're all together now this is Paddy and he plays the banjo in the band. He's my brother, Cheyenne. He plays the tar and he plays tumbak. And he's Niall, he plays the double bass and the bass, and he plays the guitar as well. And I'm, I'm Shahop, I play the santur. And the name of the band, it's, it's, it's Persian name. And the meaning of Nava, it's Nava means nice sound, nice melody. Uh, so that's, and it, it, I think it's, it's easy to pronounce 
that's that's very important, you know, because it's it's easy to pronounce and it's easy to remember. So that that's how we came up with the name. So we're here in the lads' apartment in Tala, and it's a little little piece of Iran in uh, southwest Dublin. So uh, I was saying that the guys have got a beautiful uh, patterned rug. When you come in, it looks like a gorgeous Persian rug. And I said, when I came in first, I said, "Oh, that looks that looks like you got that brought that here from Iran. Where did you get it?" They got it in IKEA. <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> yeah, but we have we have got some Persian instruments, some Persian statues, and we've every got the music. Every right? time and we come, language. every time we come to the lads' house, it's like a little bowl of pistachios, dates, um, maybe a few figs now and again. So, yeah. So we are in in Tala, and we've been living here for the last three years, and that's where we always rehearse here and the writer pieces. It's it's certainly very homely and it's it's you know when it's whatever whatever band that I've ever worked with you just have this one place where you do all your work you do your rehearsals and um, we're sort of very much at home here and the guys parents always look after us very well as well so we're delighted to delighted to be working here yeah I guess, I guess if you're at ease and relaxed it tends to make things a bit easier when it comes to the actual music the neighbors are very nice they haven't complained since three years ago so I I think they're enjoying the music and free concerts every every Thursday so. <laughs> <laughs> so is that were you learning with that when you when you yeah for five years some people to do five years and then they give you the pads <laughs> no, no, no no just do two different methods of playing santur really do the contemporary way first So I was listening to YouTube last night and I came across a Santour player who was playing them without the felt mallets on top. Yeah. So just try it with Oh with that. Try it with the traditional method. Which you prefer? I don't know. It's a hard <laughs> question. There is actually no answer to that. It's just it's the way I play it, and I prefer to hear this sound much more smoother. But certainly, as you, as you mentioned, we we can we can use that brightness sometimes in, in our mm -hmm. works, you know. So possibly on the new album, which we're working on at the minute, yeah, we could we could experiment with just to get a different sound out of the Santor because it's kind of it's got that one block sound yeah, that you can... New color. New yeah, color. New color, so... Exactly. Good. Yeah. How many strings? Uh, 74 strings. Mm -hmm. So I get a tune it every day, yeah. So when we're in a, in a gig situation and we're trying to tune up the instruments, we'll often make a joke that, like, we're, we're there trying to tune our four and five string instruments and Shahab's perfectly in tune with 74. Before the concert, they're all getting ready and trying to be fancy. I'm... I'm, I'm <laughs> Tuning my instrument for three hours, oh my God, this is, and especially if you're in Dingle or if you're in Doolins, it's, it's even worse because the humidity and yeah. so. Temperature yeah. changes. Yeah, certainly Ireland is not the best country for the instrument, you know, so. 
I had been kind of pre-warned by Simon, our friend who introduced us, just that these guys were crazy musicians and uh, you have to hear them. And that he didn't uh, disappoint with his description because I came in and saw, well, I think Cheyenne was possibly playing Cajon that night. Um, I'd seen one of them before, but the Santor was just a crazy sound and so open and just I think a lot of people get it and I got it that night when I first started but when people first see us and come to our gigs they kind of they're always fascinated by that sound and what's that and sometimes they can't see it and it's uh, yeah so it's you hear it yourself it's yeah uh, it's, it's interesting because some people in Dublin they know the instrument now because they they've heard us on the radios it was interesting two three months ago I was out and I got a taxi home it was very late and then the taxi drivers started chatting to me and said where are you from I said I'm from Iran. I said, oh, I heard a guy who plays this instrument, Santur. It was on the radio. I said, oh, I said, okay. What was his name? I said, I don't remember his name. I said, wasn't it Shahab? I said, yeah. I said, I said yeah, I know these guys. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> so it's, it's fascinating. We're really it's, embedded in the frame of Dublin society yeah. of taxi drivers and all the way there, you know? Like, I would have, I would have heard the... The hammer dulcimer is kind of a common instrument in certain American folk music, and I'm familiar with the sound of that uh, and the mechanics of it. But the I find the the Persian santor just is a much more resonant, has much more of a clearer tone. It's just and more reverb. It's it's a little bit nicer. I moved here uh, when I was 17 and the, the, the day when I arrived here, I, I, I felt desperate, you know, it was, the weather was bad and it was just, it was so shocking for me. You know? I was shocked and it was, maybe it was the worst day of my life until now and it was the best day maybe, it's just this, I don't know, it was a challenge that day and so I had to wait for three years to be able to study and not paying so much money and so for the first three years I was doing part-time in, in the academy I was doing classical music and classical violin in, in the academy and so I was I only had two lectures a week so it was so frustrating I was so bored at home and then I my friend of mine said there's a there's an open mic every Monday would you like to try that I said okay I tried that as well so I went to this park called Sinead and it was just amazing that the atmosphere was, I mean, it was amazing at the time. I mean, I, I wouldn't do it at, at the moment because I've done it for a year and I was so bored. So I used to do it every, every Monday with my brother. So I asked him to join me. I said, like, this, this pop is there and there will be people there every week listening to you. So it's better than doing nothing really. So we kept doing it and every week we played something different. And we, we didn't practice for it. We just said, so this week we're going to listen to electronic music and go on stage and play some electronic, being influenced by electronic music. So the week after we said, we listened to Martin Hayes for a week together. And they said, so we're going to be influenced by Martin Hayes. And the week after we, we listened to Too Many Diabate. So we, we're going to, so every week we, we were experimenting with different music. And we saw how the audience reflected and the reaction to the music, it was, it was amazing. 
I think at that point then we might have heard through the grapevine that there was these two amazing Iranian musicians kind of experimenting and playing crazy traditional music and uh, improvised music and our friend Simon, who I originally mentioned, said you got to get down and see these guys and, and try and play with them. Play that tune, Steve Kuhn's tune. I can play it. Yeah. So he's gonna bring the instrument. Here. I think we just try and find a consensus with the music so we'll all bring different things we'll say for instance Shahab might bring an Iranian melody or an Iranian inspired melody we'll all try and play the melody we'll just it's it's just a matter of playing through these things and kind of just coming up with something spontaneously but collaboratively as well it's it's very it's not uh, forced in any way I don't think and there's always a consensus there's always a kind of a democratic way of uh, doing it and we'll all have different ideas and it's it's pretty spontaneous. There's always a space to change every single time we meet. We want to change it. You know? It's 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 never the same. That's the beauty. I don't, of it. I don't think there's any traditionalists really in the band. You know, there's no no one is is kind of saying, well, we need to stay true to that melody, or you're not that not that you're not precious, but you're not that attached to the traditional music that you need to keep it the way exactly, it is. Yeah. yeah. So there's a freedom to it, of course, which yeah. allows us to kind of maybe innovate slightly when we're playing a new tune or playing an old tune, especially. <laughs> People would be interested, you know, in asking us where you're from and what's the culture and what's the language. But they often mixed up, get mixed up between Arabic and Persian. But every time we play in a, in a gig, you know, they come to us and they're really, really interested and fascinated by the music. And they're really open-minded. And just, I, just in terms of what what Shyam was saying as well about sort of integrating into the culture or whatever as well. It's like, it's something you see in, in Irish music has been going on for, for centuries that we just sort of adopt instruments, like take the bazooki in the 60s or the fiddle or, you know, the flute and all these instruments that have found their way into Irish music. I think there is kind of an omnivorousness about Irish music that's more than happy to take on uh, instruments and, 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 and music from other cultures and integrate it in some way into the, into the tradition. And I think that reflects in what Shine was saying in terms of the interest people have when they hear 
you know, Shaha playing the Rolling Wave on the Santour. Like, you know, it's they're, they're fascinated by that. And it's just, you know, there's something in people when they see that the guys have sat down and they've listened to the music and they've loved it and they've learned to play some of it. People really respond positively to, to that, um, which I think is a really, reflects, reflects really well on our, on our folk culture. This is the Taras Nile mentioned before. Yeah, it's similar to bazooki and banjo. Something similar. You've got the you've got the facility to play uh, quarter notes and uh, different things on it. You you can't you can't really use the the guitar pick on it because it it sounds really a bit harsh. But this is very soft and really round sound you can get from from this pick. It kind of looks like the talon of a hawk. Yeah, yeah. Or something. It's like, gosh. That's I don't know what that is, but... <laughs> that's what it looks like. <laughs> this is Tombak. A goblet drum shape. Yeah. S similar to Baron. And... This is... Yeah, this is made from uh, walnut. And the skin is a ship skin, and yeah, Iranian ship, not Irish ship. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do maybe another, another one of the tracks? The, the rolling wave. Yeah. So yeah, this is the rolling wave with Chahar Mezrab, which is a, an Iranian melody, and we've kind of brought the two together, um, played them side by side with a little, little kind of linking piece of music that's that we wrote for it. Actually, the first time I heard Irish music was live 
and Martin House playing concert in, in the Mansion House in Dublin. And a friend of my dad brought me to that concert. It was a trio. Oh, I was amazed. I was shocked. I listened to that music for two hours, nearly two hours. It was a full album. I, I couldn't move after the concert. And I, I was touched. So it was, just, it was so serious for me. I, I, would never, I would have never thought Irish music could be that deep or serious. Of course, when, when Martin Hayes plays Irish music, it's, it's special, spontaneous, you know. But I was, I, that's, that's the, that was the moment when I started to think we can do something with this music or it's, it's flexible or we can change it or we can have influence. Did you have a preconception that Irish music was only uh, kind of session music or? Yeah, yeah, to be honest, yeah. And it's, the, the majority of Irish music is accessed for session and you play in pubs and you drink. And I like the seriousness of Irish music, that side of it, you know. first tune I listened to, to it was Spanish Misfortune and I YouTube that and Jerry O'Connor on the on the banjo came up and I just listened to it 50 times and just tried to play it for for two weeks I couldn't get the notes at all but I was struggling for two weeks but I got it and got obsessed with, <laughs> with Irish music and Irish music. Sierra Leonean musician. Um, my mum's Irish and my dad is from Sierra Leone. I grew up in Maynooth, went to primary school there and then in my teens we moved to West Africa where I spent my formative years um, in secondary school. Then I moved back to Ireland to complete my studies and go to college, trained as a pharmacist and worked for a little while. And uh, over the last four years, I've been back doing my passion, which is music and essentially working full time as an artist. music fan so there was a lot of classical music and I mean full symphonies Mussorgsky and Shostakovich would blare in the kitchen um, a lot of trad and um, we were constantly exposed to a lot of folk music folk classical jazz there's nothing we haven't been exposed to I would say and then because we all did our own classes and, and learned ourselves we we just have very open palettes. 
In terms of Irish music that I would have listened to growing up, uh, we're all big fans of Paul Brady and Martin Hayes. In terms of fiddle, I we wore that out. There's one album we wore out of Martin Hayes and Dennis Cockle, just like completely destroyed it from over listening. Um, and then all the, you know, we have such a good bard tradition in Ireland of this, it's just the songwriting and the and the storytelling. I mean, whether it's the, you know, very stuff that we strongly associate with Irish identity, like Rag and Roll by Luke Kelly or whatever, or more subtle stuff, you know. Yeah, there's just a lot of trad around and a lot of that kind of, you dig into the really, f- the folky way of telling a story. So you tell the story really clearly. And the songs, you could sing them a cappella and it would be as powerful as if you have a full band. That's what I feel like that sense of how, how we are as a culture, Irish culture is in terms of storytelling. Um, you have to be able to sing a tune on its own, unaccompanied. And that's the, the true measure of, of a great piece of work. And I think that still stands in our modern songwriters, you know, whether it's like Lisa Hannigan, who I adore and um, love Damien Rice or Damien Dempsey or like all these these people, um, Glenn Hansard, we're, it's just, there's a great culture and spirit of storytelling that feels very personal and personable and, prof- and yet profound and sort of ancient. Um, my dad is a, Big lover of music as well. Um, his his taste, interestingly enough, is he definitely brings a more modern approach. Like my, he, he's huge for I Bob Marley isn't modern, but I think you might understand what I mean. Um, and Michael Jackson, and he instilled like a real love of like f- flavor and spirit. Um, but in terms of African music, my mum would have been really into it, actually, more so. Um, she introduced us to the music of Umu Sangare, who has been a very formidable influence in my work. And I'd say my sister as well. Um, she's a Malian singer, very famous in Mali, older now, but she's kind of like, she's the Aretha Franklin of Mali, if you will. And through that introduction, we and living in Gambia, we were exposed to a lot of West African blues um, Saharan blues and different traditional styles across the West African region. In terms of the West African music that inspires me, it's very complex because there are so many tribes and languages and with each tribe and each language comes its own unique um, music culture. But probably what I would draw on most from in terms of melody and and even to some extent approach in the newer stuff that I'm doing would be the Wasulu musicians of Mali, who, of which Umo Sangare is one, and also the Berber and Tuareg people from Mali, the nomadic people. So Tinarawen, for example, are... Um, our Tuareg. So there are certain scales that they would use. They would be the the origins of the modern blues, so minor pentatonics and this kind of thing. And the melody, the types of melody, like my song Cortege, 
is is ma- is a little bit different, but the melodies are strongly, strongly derivative. Cortege is a song that I wrote um, for a friend of mine when his mother passed away from cancer. And when I first wrote it, I wrote the chords and the melody. And I knew as I was composing it that I wouldn't be able to sing it in English because it was too sensitive or I couldn't, I didn't feel capable of writing a poem that would, that would suffice. So because the melody was so derivative of, of how I, well, in my way of Umu Sangare in the Malian kind of style, I thought to myself, look, why don't I sing this in, in Shabro, which is my grandfather's native language. So I, I wrote a, a simple poem in English and I went, I was visiting Sierra Leone then and I asked my auntie to translate it for me into Shabro because she still speaks it. So we had a lovely Skype phone call first off and then I saw her in, in Sierra Leone a couple of months later and uh, she taught it to me and taught me how to pronounce it properly. So it's very much a hybrid piece and if anything it's usually the one that gets the best response in from audiences. That was a really amazing exercise in, as my mum always says, taking it back to the ancestors. The opening um, melody is actually Shabro um, from a Shabro folk song, and then the the, the chorus is in it says actually in Mende. So there's there's a little bit of both that like Mende thrown in, but that's very standard as well. It's common. People are generally polyglots. I'm slow by Sierra Leonean standards. families in Maynooth, ourselves and another family and one of the children from that family is actually a musician as well, Dearman from Neomatic. So we definitely were very integrated if you will, we were just part of the community and it wasn't really a question but obviously you know we look different, um, we're not your average Maynooth looking children so it was important for us to go and spend time in West Africa and, and uh, rediscover that and spend time with our family and, and I suppose complete the identity picture in a way. In Gambia, we lived on a off a main road in a in a kind of quite a big compound with a lot of houses closed off, and there was a lot of bush and forest and woodland. But one thing they do incredibly all all over West Africa is drumming, which I mean everyone's familiar with the concept of the West African drumming troupe. So whenever there would be major family events like baby naming ceremonies, um, as they call them, or weddings, uh, funerals, all of that. They would, there would always be drummers. And 
the first time I would have heard it, it was from from afar. So we're thinking, you know, through thousands of trees from a compound relatively close and it, the drumming would come through as a rumble like the onset of, of thunder of, of a storm and it would shake your body to the core it's hypno- it's terrifying and hypnotic and and compelling and magnetic and it blew my mind and I was like this is the most incredible thing I've ever heard I don't understand it but I love it <laughs> um it became a staple of how I see the that whole experience in my head. There's the pictures that you have of the desert or of the trees or of, of school, and then there's the drums. Sometimes I'd hear a melody, the sound of what could had I not placed myself down at your feet to suit your every whim Oh, the best part is that if I could go back and tell those lies I'd do it all again and again and again and again Percussion is very central um, to my recordings because I, I guess once I've gotten the kernel of the song, as I would call it, or the seed, the melody, the, the lyrics, the story and the the accompanying chords, the rhythm comes next. So um, how the, those things in, interact with rhythm is really important. It just gives forward motion to the pieces. I often compose rhythms at the same time as the song is born, or or I'll even compose rhythms first. They'll come to me first. And I'll, based off of the rhythm, I'll bounce, bounce off a, a, mel- a melodic idea. I am nothing, nothing at all. So I definitely adore big production, but certainly when I go to write, it's always it always starts with me at a piano or me at a guitar or just a completely a cappella. And if I can't feel a deep connection to it yet when it's really simple, then it's not worth pursuing for me. That's how I tell the difference between pieces of work. Um, so even though I work with a band in terms of in the in the recording studio and um, the songs are very formed by the time I bring them to the band and we're at that stage we're just working on technicalities and arrangements and that's I that's definitely I would feel strongly from come from an Irish tradi- you know culture of, and a more fo- long-standing traditional approach you know and then you bring in the modern production styles Teaching us to hide our truth, to give up everything, yes, everything for little in return. To feel the power of my will, to shame the body that I'm in. I feel like a bit of an old lady a lot of the time. I think I'm, my spirit is a lot older than my body. And I just, there's a, a, I find such a deep physical, actually, visceral calm in in music that feels and sounds ancient and even I'm talking Gregorian chant everything I, there's a profundity to it um, and maybe because a lot of music that survives that long it survives because it's powerful so for just from not aside from me getting airy fairy about it like it's a fact is if it's the tune's still knocking around it's because it's really good <laughs> tune do you know what I mean and people aren't sick of it yet and there's a lot to be said for that so drawing on those tunes that have sometimes lasted hundreds of years there's obviously something in them that keeps affecting people and it's hypnotic and compelling and um, so I like to access that if I can um, but also 
you know, you're, we're all unique individuals living in a time. No one, we've never existed before, we'll never exist again. So what, how can we interact with our culture and our technology to add something new to, and say something new to keep these, this spirit alive? Um, so that's, the, that cross section is where I'm always trying to exist. Because of living in West Africa and, and growing up at a formative time, I do think in Creole a lot. Um, and I speak to my sister and we would go between languages when we when we talk. So, for example, recently I just worked on a track with my sister actually for the first time. We don't usually write together, but she asked me to feature on something. And it's it's bilingual and there's so many references. And she's the only person I could... I could do something like that with very clearly and she knows exactly what I'm talking about. So there's a moment that where I sing in English and it bursts into a very open jazz, jazzy chord um, of harmony. There's another moment where I'm sort of rapping in Creole and it's in a particular way that is how people might preach in a church because of going to church in in Freetown. And, and so there's there's such specific voices and sense sensory experiences and it happening within me all the time and you can only ever access certain amounts of them when you're interacting with certain people because my personal culture is so much more complex than any one culture that I find myself in so that's I have to make art to, to facilitate it all so I would say I draw from absolutely everything <laughs> Fatima Sidiouar is one of my favourite artists. She's Malian as well um, and would would be, as you say, a, a modern, has a modern approach where she's coming from the tradition of Malian music and sings in, in Bambara and stuff. But it, she's has a, a live, ba- her live band has, you know, electronic bass in electric guitar and, and like drum kit rather than kind of per, traditional percussive instruments. So um, she's at that crossroads again between traditional and modern so she was involved in the soundtracking for a film called Timbuktu which is about Mali and the violence there and civil unrest that led to music being banned in the northern parts of the country and I was so moved afterwards that I walked home from the IFI and I cried all the way home (laughs) and kept crying through and I wrote Unveiled in about 40 minutes just sat down and wrote the guitar line first but the poem yeah the poem is is just about I guess honouring your your capacity to create when you can and making the work that you say you want to make and because it's of great value and you don't even necessarily understand how or why but if you're compelled to make it just make it because you know you may never get you might not get a second chance and so the chorus is give us your song your song your song unveiled if you want to belong it is said you must Sales in audience.
the songs, the poem by Maya Cannon, I mean, for me, it can also be carrying the tunes. And, and I do, of course, in this tradition, we continually think about where they came from, what hands they passed through. And I hear tunes that I remember my father played and tunes that my uncle played, tunes from East Clare, you know, all these kind of things. And they're, they're embedded in me now and kind of not just as, as music, but as kind of historical touchstones and kind of memories of places and people, memories of times, memories of times when I wasn't even here. You know, I have I have distant memories of Joe Cooley playing. I wasn't there at all, but I have imaginations of them, like handed to me by stories of how people responded to these players, what the night was like when they first heard Joe Cooley play. So tunes are... You know, they're carrying these, they're loaded with, with other meaning other than the melodies that we have, but they all have taken these journeys, and that's what's interesting. So this Maya Cannon poem certainly speaks to that. So carrying the songs. It was always those with little else to carry who carry the songs. To Babylon, to the Mississippi, some of these last possessed less than nothing, did not own their own bodies, Yet three centuries later, deep rhythms from Africa stored in their hearts, their bones carried the world's songs. And for those who left my county, girls from Downings and the Rosses, who followed herring boats north to Shetland, gutting the sea silver as they went, or boys from Manifest who took the dairy boat, who slept over a rope in a bothy. Songs were their soul's currency the pure metal of their hearts to be exchanged for other gold. Other songs which rang out true and bright when flung down on the deal boards of their days. Mm -hmm. 